Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast back with an episode of Epic Proportions. Brian Olson with you here. John Lester, of course, is out on assignment in the East Coast. Looking forward to a really great case study from that endeavor. Now, before I introduce my special guest, I have to say that ever since COVID happened, John and I have been reading a lot of books. We're always recommending books to each other. Now, one book that we've both read is the Amazon bestseller, Ignite Your Career, Strategies and Tactics to Unleash Your Potential. Now, what makes this book such a captivating read and so unique and special is that it's literally a step-by-step guide on how to develop career goals that align with your strengths, giving you a clear path forward. Now, it also offers strategies for optimizing your resume, practical advice on networking, finding the right company culture, prepping for interviews, and negotiating offers. So really, it's a soup to nuts or an A to Z on how to make yourself stand out and land your ideal position. Now, I'm fortunate enough to have the author, Chris Holmes, with us today to discuss the topic of landing your dream job, even during COVID-19, and negotiating the best package possible. Now, Chris Holmes, to give you some background, is an executive recruiter and partner at O'Connell Group, a leading executive search firm in consumer marketing and market research. She has more than 25 years of experience and is also a member of the Pinnacle Society, the premier consortium of industry-leading recruiters in North America. Now, Chris has counseled tens of thousands of candidates in setting goals and leveraging their strengths. And before shifting to recruiting, Chris worked for a decade in consumer marketing with major corporations like Johnson & Johnson, Kraft Foods, and Rouse & Purina. She's also a graduate of Tufts University and has an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. Chris, it's great to have you on the show today. Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Brian, thank you so much. I am excited to be here. You know, I'm excited as well. it's, It's just great to have you here. And before we begin, I just have to let you know, listen, I have an English bulldog. John has a couple of cats. I'd love to know, are your two labs as happy as our pets are to have us home more often during this lockdown period? Oh, man, Brian. Yes and no. I will tell you, a week and a half ago, we lost one of our labs, which breaks my heart. No, I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, my God. Me too. And the other one is walking around so confused and and lost. And so we're trying to figure out when we're going to get our next Jell-O lab because... You know, we can't leave him solo. He just doesn't function well. He's a he's a pack animal. I hear you. There's many. Well, you know, I'll tell you, there's many great places to find great pets, and they definitely need a home. And for anybody listening out there looking for a movie recommendation, do not watch Marley and Me. Just don't do it. <laughs> do not do it. I'm with you. Well, Chris, I'll tell you, the book and our conversation, you know, couldn't come out at a better time. So many people have recently graduated and are looking to land their desired position, and many are, you know, kind of re-entering the workforce again due to coronavirus. So our audience is definitely going to benefit from your advice and experience. But many of them, I, th- I have a feeling they're going to want to work with you as well. So I'd love for you to maybe to tell our audience a little bit about O'Connell Group and what sets O'Connell Group apart from other executive search firms out there. Absolutely. So Brian, O'Connell Group has been around for over 27 years. And we are one of the top marketing and market research firms in the country. Um, And what we do is we specialize in those two areas, everything from CMO, head of function, down to a couple years experience out of college. And what really differentiates us is majority of the folks have come from discipline, like I have, marketing and market research. So we understand the companies, the cultures, the career paths exceptionally well. The other thing that differentiates us is we build relationships for the long term. So as I tell candidates, when I get to know them a year or two 
out of college or out of business school. It's kind of like you're stuck with me like glue. And my goal is to be a resource and a mentor throughout your career. I may or may not place you, but when you get to the point where you're building your team, I'm going to be your resource to help you build a world-class team. So that really differentiates us on the candidate side, but it's the same thing on the client side. We really partner with them to understand not just the roles, but the culture and who thrives there so we can make their searches very effective and efficient and bring in world-class talent. That is great. Sounds like you have real passion for doing so. And obviously the results speak for themselves, right? They reflect that. Now I have to say, you know, the concept behind the book is so powerful. I love it. It's basically figure out your strengths, find jobs that use them to the max, and you are going to be happy and successful. Now, you go on record saying that you believe that corporate America has things backwards. Would love to have you maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Um, Yeah, and I didn't even realize that, Brian, until a decade into being a recruiter. But um, as you mentioned, I was in marketing and, and consumer packaged goods for a decade before I shifted over to recruiting when my company was sold. And while I was fine in marketing, when I shifted over to recruiting from day one, it felt like breathing. It was natural. It was comfortable. It was fun. And I was really good at it. And it wasn't until a decade into my time at the O'Connell Group when my boss had us all take tests called Strength Finders that my results said every single one of my strengths tied into people. It was woo, it was connecting, it was, you know, everything about talking to people and, and understanding and listening. And that's the when the aha moment came up for me is that's why I love recruiting and I'm good at it is because it leverages my strengths. And then I thought back to my time in marketing and even before business school and all the reviews go, okay, you're great here, here, here. Now they, let's spend the majority of the time where you're not good, where you have issues. And I think they should be doing the flip side. They should say, okay, here are your opportunity areas. These two are developmental. Let's put a plan in place to help you get that experience. These are more part of innately who you are. I don't think we're ever going to build these muscles. And now let's shift to the things you're really great at and figure out what roles and career paths we should put you on so that we can highlight those and they'll set you up for success. I love that. You know, you never, it's such a breath of fresh air. When I read that in the book, it really stood out to me. The fact that, listen, there are muscles that are never going to develop. There are weaknesses that is pointless to try to work on because it's just not in your DNA. And that's, right. that's the whole power of that assessment to find out what your strengths are. Now, your goal of the book is to help people figure out, first and foremost, their strengths and their superpowers so they can leverage them so they can be happy and successful early on in the career, right? Because it took you about you know, 13 years down the road when you had that aha moment. Um, how do you think others can do that? What do you think the first step would be to, for people to uncover their strengths so they know where to apply and where the best fit would be? Yeah, it's a great question. So Brian, what I tell folks is there, there are multiple ways you can do it. You can, if you're out of college, you can talk to professors or coaches if you're in a sports team or even family and just ask them, what do you think I'm really great at? What, you know, what, if you were going to say two or three things about me, what would the things that would jump out to you? Then I also tell people to take a step back and think about the projects you've worked on or the jobs you've had. Take out two pieces of paper and on one write all the things you love doing 
and on the other right, all the things you really did not like doing and, and were not comfortable doing, put them away for a day or two, then bring them back out and, and take it down to the top five or 10. And looking at those lists, it will kind of crystallize, what am I really good at, which tie into your strengths, and what am I not as good at? So that's the second way. A third way is if you're out of college or business school or grad school, you can reach back out to your career center and ask them if they have resources that you can tap into. They have helped a lot of people think through these things, and they may have tests or other things that you can utilize to help you crystallize these things. Another way is to talk to a recruiter. If you're already working in a field and there are recruiters like the O'Connell Group where we're experts in our area, and if you talk to them and share with them what are the things you love doing, what are the things you're really great at doing, they may help you figure out the appropriate career path that'll make you happy and successful. And then the last way, and I think this is especially important for people who are either not at all happy in their roles or either in college or young professionals is to take some online tests. And there are two that I really advocate. One is, as I mentioned, the strengths finders. And that one, there's two different tests. And I would tell you, take the one that gives you five answers versus 34 answers because the 34 is a little bit overkill. The five answers will give you your top five strengths and then it'll also give you some, some areas that those strengths can be leveraged effectively. The second one is a test called U-Science, Y-O-U Science. And this one is really interesting because they have you play nine computer games. And from that, they're able to map out how your brain works and what your innate, as you said, DNA strengths are. And from there, they also will kind of lead you into some areas where those strengths can allow you to set, set yourself up for success. So... I tell people you can do them all, you can do a mixture. I very much urge people to do the online test and really sit with it and try to figure out what feels right. You know, you're going to have a variety of options and you can marry those with passion and start on that career from day one versus, as you said, I did 13 years out. There you go. I love it. Great insight and information. You know, I've actually taken one of those tests. It's scary how accurate that is. I mean, literally, you're like the computer games. You're playing these brain games on the computer, and it literally gives you unbelievable insight into who you are. It's, it's enlightening, to say the least. Yeah, somebody once told me, I feel like they found my diary, and that's <laughs> scary. It really is. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about, I love the fact that you talk about the right fit, and there's so much to be said about this. You know, before we jump into kind of some resume do's and don'ts, uh, let's say you've identified your strengths, you know exactly what you're going for. Now, we want to talk about the right fit because that's so important. Uh, company culture is a big buzzword. They recently had, I think, some mm -hmm. stat came out, 90% of managers would rather hire for a good culture fit versus experience and skill set, which is very surprising. Um, and we talk about culture because... You want to not only excel in your job, but you want to feel comfortable for where you work. And sometimes it's not the best fit. What do you think today about company culture? I know you have a, a big stance on not a good company culture, not a bad. It's just the bad fit. Would love to hear your explanation of that. Yeah, and, and I think that is exactly right. Or they're not good and bad company cultures. There are good and bad fits. And, and think about it this way. If somebody is a really outgoing person, 
and loves working with other people in a really collaborative way. They've always been into team sports and they go to a company that is not at all collaborative. It's very competitive. It's everybody out for themselves. Um, They're going to be miserable. They are just going to wilt and die. But if they go to a company where it's team oriented and everybody wins together, they are going to blossom and thrive. And that's why culture is so important. You just have to, as you go through an interview process, you know, be mindful, you know, of the culture. You, you can't really focus on interviewing them when you're applying for a job because you have to be selling yourself, but you can be very aware. So you can pay attention to, as you walk through the office, are people happy? Is the office lively or subdued? And how does that feel to you? Um, When you ask people, what do they love about the company? Are they bubbly? And, and, you know, do they share all sorts of exciting information? Or do they have to sit and think about it to come up with one or two things? Um, Look at Glassdoor when you're evaluating companies, but also know that those are usually biased, that people who post on Glassdoor either usually really dislike the company or are passionate about it. And then the other thing I say is go to the company website and read their values and do they resonate with you? You know, would you be excited and and do they feel like they fit with who you are and what you wanna do in your life? So, you know, I've worked with many people who, really liked their job, but weren't thriving and weren't happy. And when we diagnosed and peeled back the onion, it's because it didn't feel like the right fit. They felt like a fraud and they had to pretend to be like everybody else. And so by moving them to the same role at another company, they, they all of a sudden took off because it felt mm-hmm. like they were at home and they were appreciated and they were welcomed um, and it felt natural. They didn't have to pretend. So all that energy that went into pretending and putting on that, that fas- the facade, they could put into their job. So I do believe that company culture is really important for happiness and success in your, in your, in your uh, job today and in the future. It's great. Uh, what is there? Do you think there's any onus on the company, like during the interview process? I'm skipping a little bit ahead. We'll come back to this, but you know, in the interview process, obviously it's a two-way evaluation, and you know, there's certain things you talk about instinctually to look for. You know, to have your spider senses out to say, is this the right fit for me culture-wise? Is there any yeah. onus on the company as well to kind of look at the candidate and say, I don't know if this is the right fit on my end, or is it uh, something where it's all on the candidate to kind of figure that out? No, I, it's a two-way street. And, and as you said to begin with, companies at times will hire the candidate who is the better culture fit, even if they have some outages, because they believe they can teach those outages, but they can't teach the fit. So if it's a company that is fast moving and you need to be you know, willing to roll up your sleeves and do everything, and you keep on talking in the interview process, asking questions about what sort of support will I have? and what part of the responsibility is mine, and really trying to get exact responsibilities identified, the company is going to say, I don't think this person's the right fit. They need a playbook, and we need somebody who doesn't need a playbook, who is really versatile and adaptable, and can jump in and do what needs to be done. So it is very much a two-way street. 
Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's just, it's, it's funny. It goes down such a, uh, an interesting path because, you know, John and I talk to businesses all the time or sometimes they don't have training in place or, you know, they have comp plans changing all the time or goals that they're just pulling out of thin air. So you kind of wonder, you know, is, is there any onus in the business to kind of fix that because you may be missing out on a great candidate who at the time would not be a great quote unquote culture fit, but, you know, if they would tighten that up, possibly they would have a lot better results with their employees coming on board. So it's very, very interesting. And, and that's a fair point, but typically those companies will hire people with a couple years of experience. You know, I talk in the book about the different phases of the career, learn, do, leverage. A company like that that's very entrepreneurial, doesn't offer training, might look for people in the doing phase where they already have those building blocks and now they're ready to take them and build. So they're looking for a place to really create something versus learn something. No, absolutely. Now, as far as the long view, you talk about focusing on long-term goals, you know, when evaluating a business, not making those moves based on ego. I uh, would love to hear you talk a little bit about that. And that's for, you know, maybe coming on board with a company initially or making a change. You, know, you want to focus on long-term. And I love the fact that you use the pool analogy. Yeah. And um, for those who don't know, know what the pool analogy is, I, when I talk to candidates, I say, think about yourself like a pool shark, somebody who plays the game of pool professionally. And when they're making a shot, they never try to make the easy ball in the corner pocket. What they try to do is take the shot that is going to set them up to win the game. And in the same way as you think about your career, I believe it's really important to remember your career is a marathon, not a sprint. And what you want to do is you're thinking about a move is think about, does it set me on the right path to achieve my long-term goals? Because it may be a big promotion. It may be lots of money, but if you're on the wrong path, it doesn't matter how fast you're running, you're never going to achieve your goal. Definitely, definitely. So great insight, Chris. Love it. So now we've identified our strengths. We understand the right culture we're going after. Now it's time to put a resume together, right? Now it's actually time to apply. So what do you think are some great resume best practices to make the best first impression? Because you only get one chance, right? And really stand out among the sea of candidates out there. And, and great question. And I would tell you, Brian, you want to stand out because of what's on your resume, not how your resume looks. So do not try to make your resume fancy or different or something that's unique that might catch somebody's eye because it, it won't. It won't get you through the process. I believe and my team believes you want your resume to be really clear and clean. You want it to be easy to read, easy to figure out what you've done and what you've delivered. And, and we believe that resumes are read kind of like newspapers. You have your headlines, your body copy, and you read those. And that's what determines, do I want to read this article? Do I want to go further? So the headlines are things like, where'd you go to school? And what companies have you worked at? And what titles have you had? And how have you progressed? And if they like what they see, then they will go further to both see what your responsibilities were and what you delivered, which is really crit critical. Um, the other couple things is bullets versus paragraphs. People, when you get a person to look at it, spend max eight seconds looking at a resume initially. If you have a big paragraph there, you'll go into the trash can before they even read it. It's too hard. So bullet points that are concise and succinct, make it action-oriented, so lead, develop, create, initiate, and 
if you post online, which I tell people do only as a last resort, make sure you have relevant skills at the top that are associated with the job you're applying for, because that'll help you get through the artificial intelligence and the applicant tracking system that many companies use today to sort through the thousands of resumes that they get online. See, that's interesting. I was going to jump to that later, but we might as well tackle it now. So you mentioned the book, Job Boards are the Last Resort because of AI screening. And many people are going to find this fascinating. When I heard this, it kind of blew my mind. And it really makes sense because when you look on LinkedIn, I mean, there's hundreds of people interviewing within you know, a couple of days. What yeah. is this practice? Why is it happening? Is it good? What do you think about this? Um, so are you talking about the practice of the AI? and AI the screening. That's right. Yeah. AI screening. Yeah, so um, what this is, is when companies, especially larger companies, post a job normally, and even more so today with the pandemic going on, they get hundreds or thousands of resumes. And many of them are ridiculously off bullseye. Um, and they don't have the people hours to take a look at them. So many companies have used artificial intelligence to cull through those thousands of resumes to the top 100 or 50. And they do that by saying, here's the job description, go through the resumes and pull out the ones that have as many skills aligned to the jobs as possible. So um, even having said that though, applying online and pushing that button, Brian, is the lowest odds of getting to see a real person. Um, and so I tell people, don't do it. It feels good for about 10 seconds, but you go into the proverbial black hole mm. and it is very rare that you come out. Now, if they were to go that route, any, what's maybe your number one tip for beating the thing out or, or adding to put you at the top, or maybe there isn't any, I don't know. What do you think? So if, if you've tried every other resource and you don't know anybody at the company, you don't, you know, you don't know a recruiter who can get you in through their contacts at the CEO or CMO level, then you post online. But as I said, you put your skills up top that align with the job and that's going to increase the odds. But you're much better off not pushing that button. But trying to look at the company and see if you have any family, friends, people you've networked, people you've worked with before, mm. um, or recruiter. And one thing to note is if you push that button and you apply online, you lock out all those other sources of helping you. And recruiters are hired by the company to bring in a slate of top talent. And they are talking to the human resources person who's managing that search, as well as the hiring manager. They, if your background aligns well, can get you in the right hands right away. Um, somebody you've worked with in the past is second best because they can advocate you based on your skills and your experience, as well as your fit with the company. And somebody who you've networked with who might be able to get your resume to the right person is still better than pushing that button. Wow. Great. Great info. So a warm intro always beats out a cold click. Absolutely. In fact, <laughs> I would tell you, don't, I mean, those cold clicks really and truly hold off because talk to your friends and see has, you know, unless somebody's background is perfect for that job. How many people do you know who have posted hundreds and hundreds of times who have even gotten an interview from doing it? 
Yeah, no, it's it's very rare. It's like an actor. You're just putting yourself out there for rejection, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So speaking of that, Chris, what do you think is the biggest mistake people make in regards to their resume or maybe the number one reason candidate gets rejected from the resume? I think the number one reason they get rejected is they have responsibilities on there, but they do not have enough results. And when people are looking to hire superstars for their organization, they want people who have a track record of delivering. So really and truly, we see a lot of resumes that come to us with this is what I did, but not this is what I deliver. And so we really push people to go back and find that data that says I did it and I did it well. That's awesome. So results-centric make it clear, bullets with results. Love it. Yes. Love it. Now, this is something that comes up all the time. You know, people are struggling with this question. It's the dreaded tenure question. That's gaps in the resume. They're looked at as job hoppers, right? And I know that you talk about in your book, you know, sometimes you have to kiss frogs. You know, it's not a culture fit. You don't know until you get there. So you have, you know, do you want to stay and be miserable or do you want to go for something else? And if you do, you risk having those awkward uh, gaps on the resume, or you you end up having you know where you move from job to job very quickly. You're not staying at a, at a company long enough in their eyes. What do you say about this? This is very very interesting. So there are a couple ways of handling this. The best way is if you have a trusted recruiter, you can work through. They can usually they'll do a write up on you, and they will take the issue off the table. So they will kind of peel back the onion and get the rationale for your moves so that the client nods up and down. And that's the goal. It's really getting them to understand the why so that it's no longer an issue. If you don't have that, and if you had to take a year off because of an ill family member, or you decided to travel for a year or two around the world because it was the one time in your life before family and kids that you knew you could, you can put those on your resume. Um, if though you've had a lot of short tenures, depending on the reason, you know, if companies were sold, change of leadership, change of strategy, you can put a bullet on your resume, but if it's happening over and over again, I would tell you to take a step back and assess, are you in the right job? You know, is the job you're in leveraging your strengths or are you maybe needing to do a course correct? And then I would tell you to go back and take some of those tests on your strengths and maybe shift as I did. And there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, I would tell you that just like when I was in marketing for a decade, I'm a much better recruiter for having that decade of marketing experience that I can now leverage in my job day to day. And you too may find a course correct that still leverages your best. Perfect. And are cover letters necessary? Is that a, a necessary function or just a nice to have? You know, if, if they ask for a cover letter, then you have to write one. But I would tell you, don't do what I call a puffery letter, which really says nothing. If you're going to do a letter, make it succinct, but talk about why you're applying to the company and why you're passionate about their organization, why your skills align. And if you have one or two results that are very relevant to the role, add those in. But, but make it something that they can't get off the resume and some new information that's going to motivate them to want to look at the resume. 
Awesome. So before we move on to the interview process itself, just a couple of very quick questions. And these came in from people that knew you were going to be on the, on the show and they wanted to ask this. There's a rise in applications of, of companies asking for your Facebook and Twitter uh, profiles. And they want to know why this is. Are you being judged based on your personal life and your social media? Um, have you seen this and do you have any thoughts on this? Um, well, I haven't seen the request per se, but I absolutely believe that companies are going to go check you out, whether or not they ask for the request. And they want to make sure that who you are in the interview is consistent with who you are in your personal life. And by that, I want to say that your values align. So anything that you have that's inappropriate or outrageous, um, in your Twitter or your Facebook, I would tell you to take it down. You know, it's all fair game. Companies can, can pretty much see anything these days. And, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to sabotage yourself in the Definitely. career search. Great. And one last question before we move on to the interview uh, yeah. is that somebody mentioned there's something in the recruiting world is a deep, dark tactic that uh, nobody really knows about. So they wanted me to mention this to you or ask you about it. It's called back channeling or back channel reference checks. Have you heard of this? Do you know, do you utilize it? Is it something that's looked upon as being commonplace in the, in the space? What do you think? So I think what you're talking about is if a company sees a resume and they know somebody who worked at a company you worked at, that they might ping the person. Um, and what we do is we recommend our clients don't do that um, because especially if you're still working at the company, we tell them you can't do it. It's not ethical and it's not appropriate and our clients do not do it. Doesn't mean everybody does it. If they know somebody who potentially worked with you that they might not ping them and say, hey, what do you think about John Doe? And gotcha. so it, it does happen in the marketplace. Interesting. Okay. Now, listen, we've applied, we've caught the attention, we've went through a recruiter, or we've received that warm intro from somebody we used to work with or a family member. Now we're in the interview phase. Now I know ever since COVID, everybody is meeting virtually, right? And we have the rise of the video interview, which is actually much different than either a phone interview or meeting in person. It's kind of a hybrid of both. Any tips on the video interview process? Uh, absolutely. And, and even Brian, before I go to jump into the video interview process, I will tell you, I am a huge believer in doing interview prep. Anybody who gets an interview and doesn't invest a lot of time doing homework on themselves so that they can bring to light their skills and their achievements, as well as homework on their company, so that they can demonstrate a lot of excitement and interest is, is very short-sighted. It would be kind of like going to Harvard and leaving before you took your last final of your last class without your diploma. You've gotten this far. You've worked this hard. You've got to do a lot of homework. And, and in my book, you know, there's a large chapter, but very easy to read and understand on interview prep that I would recommend anybody go for. But as you're talking about video interviews specifically, you're right, they are a little bit different. And so the first thing I tell people is make sure the technology is set. So by that, make sure your camera's at the right level. So you're looking at the camera, not the screen. So they're not either looking down your nose or up your nostrils. Because um, either way, it's going to be distracting and not appropriate. 
you want to make sure your background is not distracting um, and that it looks very professional. In the interview, especially the video interview, it's interesting because you on one side, want to add a lot of extra enthusiasm. Newscasters will tell you that you come across a little bit differently on video, so you have to do that. But in the same vein, you have to slow it down. When somebody else answers a question, you want to pause for a second to make sure you don't talk over them. It's much easier to do on video than it is in person. Um, you also want to make sure there are no interruptions. Turn your phone off, turn your email off. Tell everybody if you're at home doing it in your family to take the dogs outside um, and, and just make sure that your situation is very clean and quiet. Before you do a video interview, I also suggest you do a mock one and have somebody you trust or a mentor do a video interview with you. And I'll tell you, when I was at Kellogg, I did a mock interview. And what I found is when I got excited, I had my hands in front of my chest and I had them kind of together like you're praying. And when I got excited, my hands would go in front of my face. I had no clue I was doing that until I saw it on the video interview. So that mock interview will help you get rid of any kinks before you go into the interview. The other thing is you want to dress for success. Um, you know, t-shirt, sweatshirt, uh, you want to go like you were going to be showing up in their office. Um, the other thing is before it starts, you want to make sure you do a sound check, kind of like Brian, you and I did, and make sure your internet is very strong. So you don't want any technological glitches. You don't want any visual glitches. And you want to be engaged and showing yourself to be very professional and mindful of the situation. It's great advice. Perfect. Uh, what do you think is the number one or most common reason a candidate gets rejected from that very first interview? I think there are one of two reasons. Um, in, in my interview chapter, I talk about woo and wow. And Brian, woo is connecting with whoever you're talking to and having them walk away from that conversation saying, Brian is great. Love to have him on my team. Love to go have a beer with him. And that's really important. If you don't connect with that person and humor is good, but just really find a way to connect with them personally and professionally, even if you have the skills, somebody who they do connect with is going to win over you. And then the wowing piece is being able to bring your experience, your expertise, your results to life in a memorable way. So it's, it's not being able to woo or wow, which does you know which is what stops you from getting past that first interview fantastic yeah wooing and wowing very important they go hand in hand right yep. um a couple more questions as far as the interview goes do you would you say that it's very important to bring in you know in the homework phase you know and really doing your homework on that business and researching that business bring in some ready-made questions that you have uh, prepared for the end of the interview or maybe just living in the moment and question arise from the interview how important is it to engage with that interviewer and asking them questions i think it's critical you know unfortunately over the years we've had too many clients say you know, Brian was great, great skills, great fit, but we're not moving forward with them. And we'd kind of say, we're very confused what's going on. And they'd say, you didn't even know what brands we have. 
you know, he knew nothing about our company. He's obviously just shopping and not really interested. And what candidates don't realize is, you know, the employers who are interviewing them have egos involved too. And they love their company and they want to be, you know, they want to hire people who are as excited. So, you know, one thing that I counsel people um, when the interview's over and, and the client switches it over and says, do you have questions for me? Is instead of just jumping into your questions, to start off by saying, I absolutely do. But before I ask my questions, I want to make sure you're sold on me. If there's any gray area or things we didn't cover that are important, I'd rather focus on that because I am really excited about this opportunity in your organization. And that gives you a shot to kind of take one from the goal line, as I say. If you didn't answer something great, or you just didn't cover it, it gives them a chance to say, well, we didn't talk about X. And then, Brian, when you do ask your questions, I believe they should be ones that make them think you're smart, you're strategic, and you've done your homework. There's a group of questions that I call WIFMs, what's in it for me? And there are things like, do you guys have summer hours? What are your hours of work? What's your 401k match? Um, what's your relo plan? Can you tell me more about the job? Those are questions that are great to ask when you're holding an offer. But at this stage of the game, they actually can stop the process. So I tell people, be really mindful. Your questions at this point are still selling you. And you want them to come away from the questions you're asking being even more impressed by you. Wonderful. Wonderful. So at the conclusion of the interview, should you always send a thank you email after that interview? Is that a necessity or you just play it by ear? What do you think? I think it's a, it's critical. Again, we've had people lose jobs because clients say, I never got an email. So obviously they're not interested in me. Um, so I tell people at the end of the interview to ask, could I get your email address? so that I could write you a thank you note. If you can't get it and you're working with a recruiter, ask them to get it for you or if they can forward your information or your note along. And if you can't get any of those, go to LinkedIn and send them a message via LinkedIn saying, hey, I didn't have your email, but I wanted you to know how much I enjoyed meeting you, how excited I am about your company and opportunity. Um, Brian, I think it's critical and it's critical to do it within 24 hours. Because Perfect. sometimes decisions are made that quickly. There you go. Yeah, don't you know, act now, right? Or lose out on the opportunity. Right. So, yeah, the very last piece is negotiating the best package. So you had a great interview. Uh, they're looking to extend an offer. When do you think that the appropriate time is to negotiate uh, during the hiring process? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I believe you truly don't negotiate until you know you want to go to the company. So when you get an offer, what I tell my folks is be really excited. Take down the details. Ask them to send you information on benefits and if they're going to be relocating you on the relocation package so that you can look at everything. Because in reality, your offer is not just the base and the bonus. It's all those different components. And what I tell people to do is look at all the components and then come up with questions that they have about them, not, not negotiations, but just questions we want answered. And this would be appropriate time to say, do you guys have summer hours? You know, 
what's your vacation policy? You know, if somebody is just married, but they know down the road they want to have kids, this is a fair time to say, can you share with me your maternity policy or questions on RELO or questions about the job? Then when, Brian, you have all of those informational questions answered and in your heart, you know, you know what? I love this company. I really want to be there. Then we talk about negotiation. And I believe negotiation should never be a win-lose because even if you get a little bit more money, if they're really irritated that you push so hard or how you negotiated, you're not winning. You're walking into a bad situation. So what I get people to do is we look at one or two or three things that they want to negotiate and come up with really strong rationale for what they're asking, but also do not box the client into a corner and tell them what to do. You just say, hey, I'm wondering if you could help out some on compensation. And here's my rationale. One, I'm due for a raise in two months, which would make this a lateral move. Two, living in San Francisco versus St. Louis is quite costly. And three, my current 401k match is 12%. Yours is only 6%. So I'm actually a little bit in the hole. So I'm wondering if there's anything you could do, whether it's increasing the base or a sign-on or whatever. A second might be, I have a family vacation coming up this week and I wanted to make sure it's okay with you. And it just might be those two things. But what you do is you lay it out, you give rationale, you don't box them in a corner. And then you say, I really want to make this work. How do we figure this out together? And by doing that, Brian, what you do is instead of putting you guys on opposite sides of the table, you're now on the same side of the table together trying to solve the problem. And that's when you have a successful negotiation. That's great. I think it really also speaks to the advantages you know, of working with the recruiter, the fact that you know, recruiters like yourself, you, know, you have so much experience in negotiating for those mm-hmm. uh, employee, you know, obviously those applicants, and you're more apt to get what you want and uh, do it the right way versus right. risking doing it as, as a, you know, going in solo, not having that experience. So I think that really speaks to, you know, working with someone like yourself. Now, last question on the negotiating piece, and this could be part of the negotiating piece or even in the beginning when you're very first talking to a company, this question comes up constantly. And it's basically businesses asking your salary requirements or range versus telling you yeah. what they're actually offering. So the question was, why can't businesses just be upfront and tell you, hey, here's what we're offering. Um, take it or leave it. Is this within your range versus asking you what's comfortable for you, uh, which is kind of be kind of somewhat evasive. Why do they do this? And how do you answer that question? Um, it's, a, it's a really good question. So one reason companies do that is if, if they tell you the range is 80 to 100,000, I don't care what you're making today, you're going to think, I want that 100,000, whether or not you have the experience to demand that 100,000. So by asking you what you're looking for, because the laws are changing and in many states, you can no longer ask somebody what they're making today, which is actually really good. Um, if you've done your homework, you should be able to figure out a relatively good range for that role that would give you a fair increase, but not push you up so high that they're going to knock you out of the running. Because in reality, nobody wants you to go through the process to only say no, because the compensation was less than you were looking for. 
So they're not trying to be elusive. They're trying to be respectful of your time and truthfully their time as well. Great feedback, Chris. Now this is the very last question. And this is yeah. to get you to get to know you more a little more personally, right? To get you know Chris Holmes, the person. You are on an island for the rest of your natural life. You can only take one book, one album, and one movie. Oh God. What are they? Okay. Movie would be frequency. Oh okay. love, 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 love. Oh, actually, you know what? This is really funny. Book would be Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, there you go. Wow, there's a theme here. There is a theme here. And then record would probably be Tapestry. That was the first record I ever got when I was 13. And okay. it still resonates. Tapestry um, by Carol King. By who? By Carol King. Carol King, uh-huh. Yeah. Either that or something James Taylor. But um, There you go. There you go. That one threw me for a loop. Hey, that's what we do. We keep you on your toes here. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Any last bit of wisdom or insight you want to share with our audience before we wrap up? Well, there are a couple things I would say. One is times are tough right now. Everybody knows it. Um, I would tell people to figure out a way to stay productive and add value because even if you don't have your dream job today, showing you are able to do that and, and continue to build your skill set and add value in some way is going to set you up for strong interviews and a strong story. Um, the other thing is while, you know, this whole process is a lot of work and a lot of effort, you're investing in yourself. And, and I can't think of a better way to do that. And the other thing, Brian, is we talked about, not only have I written the book Ignite Your Career, but I've also launched some services in at igniteyourcareerbook.com. And there we're offering resume writing, interview prep, negotiation, and complete coaching. So if you feel like you need help optimizing your resume or you're not scoring in the interview process and you can't figure out why, or you just got that offer and you need help negotiating, but you don't have anybody in your corner who has that expertise, we can help you and we would love to. Yeah. And of course, and again, how can people purchase the book and reach you and basically utilize your services at O'Connell Group? Yeah. So um, to get the book or the services I just mentioned, you go to igniteyourcareerbook.com. O'Connell Group is O'ConnellGroup.com, www.ConnellGroup.com. And then you can reach me at Chris at IgniteYourCareerBook.com. Wonderful. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Appreciate all the insight. It's awesome. It's a great, uh, great session. Learned a lot. Thank you so much. You're definitely welcome back anytime. And I, I hope I didn't it. scare you off. No, <laughs> you did not. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. Fantastic, Chris. Have a wonderful day. And I'm looking forward to hearing an update on the new uh, addition to the family, the new puppy uh, very soon. Me too. You take care. All right, you too. Bye. It was great spending time with you today. Maybe you liked what you heard. Maybe we sparked some controversy. Maybe we got you excited, but hopefully we got you thinking. Hey, we want to hear from you. If the topic resonated with you, if you have a comment, or if you have an issue you're serious about fixing, reach out to us today. Hey, Brian, how can they get in touch with us? Great question, John. Best ways email. Email us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we're going to help you make small adjustments that's going to lead to major impacts in your business and your revenue.